0: Let's talk about walking free. We're all about about walking in in these days. And I'm gonna go over a little bit of text that we went over and then a part of a subject that I haven't been over. We are in the part of Ephesians where he's doing the pastoral ministry of saying, it's a big therefore. Here's who you are. Here's your new identity. Here's your relationship with God. Therefore, this is the therefore. I'm so glad in the 70s that uh, I immediately started reading. And by the way, I actually started reading the, the, the epistles of Paul first. Um, I don't actually know why I did that. Except that the first book that I read by myself with nobody making me was the book of Philippians. And it was so good. I said, well, I'm going to see what, what else this guy has to say. And, uh. And then I was asking questions. Very soon, the Lord put somebody in my life very quickly. After I became a Christian, a man named Randy Pope. Um, he was my first Pope, and uh, and he he gave us he gave us practical and moral instruction on how to walk out the Christian life. And and uh, he was he was that voice that I would be constantly talking to. Um, Randy is still in pastoral ministry in Atlanta. He's the pastor of Perimeter Church in Atlanta, if you ever are in that city. It's a Presbyterian church, so they don't dance. (laughs) But he's a great man of God. So let's talk about walking free. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of hearts. They become callous and have given themselves to sensuality, uh, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So you can imagine that what he's about to do is attack the stronghold that they are encased in their culture this is the culture of the Ephesians this is the culture so what's the moral culture that you're in because you're not part of the moral culture of our times even though every one of us is affected and infected and it's a tough time because we're we're going through thorough examinations of all, all kinds of look at, at how we've been living but what you can count on is that uh, the the cultural milieu that you get into cooks you, and this is why uh, don't be surprised when you when you uh, homeschool your kids and send them off to secular universities or even Christian universities, and and suddenly they get encased in a whole new uh, <laughs> sight, sound, feel, taste, touch, and. And it infects them. Don't be surprised. Oh, by the way, um, warning, trigger warning for the whole church and those online. There is sex in the scripture tonight. (laughs) So we probably won't be doing an anatomy test, but it'll be all right. I'll probably tell you to give one. So uh, we we did some of this last week, I don't have to go very deep into it, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So get this, very early the Christian church was being taught that if you want to know how to live, look at Jesus you want to understand your life, look at Jesus. Learn from Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Learn him. As the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So again, I told you last week, this is an effort. This is something you actually do. This is something you actually practice. You say, I'm going to do this. Now, I I don't think that this is necessarily working on aspects of your character. I think this is like a massive design of identity. I'm done with that. I'm now this. When I came to know Christ, I learned some things really quickly. First of all, I learned that I don't really own anything, so I'm selling his house, right? I don't really own anything. Nothing, nothing that I have is mine. It's, everything is his. That's a transaction you have to continuously make and you have to renew your mind with so that it doesn't crush you and destroy you when things happen to your stuff because things are going to happen to your stuff. Um, so you, you get a mind that understands, you get a mind that understands who you are. And then it's a matter of who am I in this, in this situation? Who am I now? Who am I in this world? Who am I? So I had to decide who was I in relation to the old friends that I had. And you know, what I found out all I really had to do is talk about Jesus and they made the decision. <laughs> all I had to really do is start talking about what Jesus did uh, in me and for me. Who am I in relation to the old choices that I made before I knew Christ? And who am I in relation to the way I treated people before I was in Christ? Who am I now? And there was like this total revolution of putting off the old Alan and, and coming to put on the new. Created in a new way of thinking. And so I'm telling you now to be renewed in your minds. This is a night, let's get, let's come on, let's get renewed. When you disconnect from the revelation of Jesus, you will disconnect from walking in the ways of Jesus. When you disconnect from, from hearing, because faith comes by hearing, you disconnect from faith. When you disconnect from, from the experience of Jesus, you are going to do great damage to yourself. Now, so come on. We have to renew our minds in COVID world. We have to renew our minds in, in, a, in a world that suddenly the rules of relationship are turned upside down. We have to renew our minds in a political culture. Um, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Stop, Alan, just keep going. I've, I've been political a few nights. So I, I can, but you do know everything is political, right? You do know that, don't you? Go there. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. What does that mean in a time like this? Well, I'll give you an example. Who do you owe money to? Speak the truth with the person you owe money to. Speak the truth with the people that you're serving in your work. Part of the truth is the the bind you're in. Realize that not everybody you talk to is going to show you the same kind of kindness. But realize that transparency is the way through. We are not those who practice deception. We We are not those who manipulate people. Put away falsehood. Speak the truth with your neighbor because we're members of one another. Speak the truth with your neighbor. And he tells you why because you're you're members of one another. This is especially true inside the body of Christ. We're members of one another, we belong to one another. Be angry, don't sin. I joked about that last week. I don't have to go back into this. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity for the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor, doing honest work with his hands so that he might have something to share with anyone in need. How many of you would have thought that giving the work of your hands is the cure for thievery? Work with your hands if you're a thief so you have something to give. The cure for stealing is giving. And giving something that has come to be of value to you. New creation morality. New creation ethics. Your life in Christ really probably never will take the giant steps that you want until a moral choice of some kind is made that costs you something and where you have to identify yourself with Jesus in a way that you will, you will literally feel it down the core of your being when you say, I can't do that because of Jesus. Or when you say, I have to do this because of Jesus. Um, One of the things that helped me so much when I became a Christian was to realize that I had hurt a number of people as a kind of a wild high school guy. And the Lord put it in my heart that when I encountered the people that I knew I had harmed before I knew Jesus, that I was to own what I had done to them. I was to... Um, ask them for forgiveness and identify myself as belonging to Christ and wanting them to know that I'm not that person anymore. And I learned there was an art to that. You have to be careful not to turn your confession into an accusation. You have to be careful with other people's heart when you're, when you're working those things out. All right. All of this I touched last week. Don't let corrupt talk come out of your mouth. This is, if you want to know what that's like, take a bite into something that's gone from ripe to rotten. That's the word that's used. What is good for building up as fits the occasion. Again, I'll say it again from last week. This is where living inside a prophetic culture And if you're not familiar with that language, a prophetic culture is a culture where you look at people as they are in Christ and not as they are at their worst. A judgmental culture is a culture where you look at people in their worst and you speak to them according to their worst. But a prophetic culture is where you you see them in Christ regardless of their behavior and then you're able to speak to them in a way that builds them up. A prophetic culture builds people up. You see somebody that's angry. And what you do is you, you take their anger and you turn it into, uh, because what, what usually people are angry about is they're usually angry about something that somebody's done that's wrong and maybe have, was done wrong to them. But especially if you see them angry at something that was done wrong to someone, all you do is turn that right into, I see that you have a heart for And you prophesy into their life and build them up. Give grace to the hearers. Giving grace to your hearers means having conversations that allow people to say what they need to say. Giving grace to your hearers means having conversations that allows people to understand you're aware of your effect upon them. Giving grace to your your hearers means speaking to them in a way that instead of eliciting defensiveness, elicits openness. I've mostly learned these things through failure. You don't have to go to my school. You can get it for free. But you'll, you'll get your own school of that. And notice that the, the, this opposite thing. He says, don't give place to the devil And he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Um, This is where people get the whole idea of an angel on their shoulder and a devil on their shoulder and that battle that's going on. It's not really that way. But, But Paul is saying, don't let a spirit that inspires wickedness inspire you. Allow the Holy Spirit that ignites glory. Goodness, holiness. And so what I want you to know is after the communion, we're gonna go into a time of teaching of the new part of the scripture tonight. When we do, here's what I'm saying. Everything that the scriptures touch on is an opportunity for Holy Spirit to bring a grace to your life for what it's calling for. You don't hear moral teaching from scripture and try harder It never works. You you hear moral teaching from Scripture and receive breath that you might. Jesus is steroids for morality. (laughs) He he empowers you. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed to the day of, of redemption. Get the bitterness and the wrath and the anger and the clamor and the slander, get it out of you, put it away from you. Along with malice. That's what inspired old Abe Lincoln to um, speak and say, with malice towards none. The greatest phrases a president has ever spoken. Lord, please help Donald Trump to read Abraham Lincoln. Yes, I can say that. You won't die from it, and he won't either. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, because Christ was kind to you, Christ was tender-hearted to you, Christ forgave you. And that brings us to this, doesn't it? Be kind to one another. How many of you can think of somebody right now that has shown kindness to you in your life? Okay. Give thanks for them right now. Give thanks for them right now. Tenderhearted. How many of you, I say tenderhearted and the person immediately comes to mind that's in your life that's tenderhearted? Let me see that one. A few less. And then finally this. This is a forgiving. Gail put a wonderful little story that CBS had on it. Was it this week, Gail? Did you see that this week? I don't know. She put a wonderful story of forgiveness on her social media. My wife hardly ever puts anything on social media. I think it's because of me. She put a story on there about a police officer who invented a a drug crime against a black man, a white police officer that sent the black man to prison for four years. He, the police officer, later got caught because he had done that many times. And he went to prison himself and did a term in prison. When, along the way, the black man was vindicated. And when they got out of prison, they both went back to the same town. And they went to the same, I think it was a Christian ministry. For the opportunity for some help at rehabilitation. And they became the best of friends. How? Because the black man forgave the police officer. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. One good thing about a tender conscience that gets filled with, like gets rent, is that you come to God knowing what he's done for you. Talk about forgiveness. You, you can preach on the forgiveness of sin every sermon your whole life. You will never run out of material. You will never run out of impact. And he will never run out of grace. It has always struck me so powerfully that the earliest expression of the depth of the depth of sin is in the book of Genesis with the seventh generation From Cain, O Lamech, and sin has now heightened to its worst level. And the language that was on Lamech's lips as a man who was hardened by his sin is exactly the same language that comes upon the lips of Jesus millennium later. 3,000 years later. How many times shall I forgive my neighbor? Seven times. No, I say 77s. Which, again, the literalist among us are in trouble. Because it means it's a limitless well. And it's with that that we come to Jesus. Uh, If you would like to, and you get to choose, would you stand for communion? You don't have to, but I don't know. And would you take the bread, and if someone can help Bradley, you don't need help? Yeah. Yeah. He's going to help you, Bradley. We like to help you, Bradley. <laughs> yeah. This is the body of Christ. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. The body of Christ is given for you, church. New covenant, as described by Jeremiah, meant they would have a personal knowledge of God and they would have their sins forgiven. Every time we take the cup, we renew the forgiveness of sins. So I want you to be renewed tonight. As I tell you before you even take the cup, that this is the blood of Christ by which our sins are forgiven. The blood of Christ is shed for you. Now feel that, feel that fresh wash of God's forgiveness. Feel it come over you and then understand that I'm saying to you, even as you've been forgiven, you can go out of this place tonight forgiving. I hope you're mad at somebody so you have somebody to forgive. My wife would say, I forgive you, and you still have to stop. Which is where we're going next. By the way, I don't think she's ever said that. Y'all know I mess with her a lot, don't you? She's going to be tormented as long as I'm preaching. So let's do this. Now we have the grace for it. Let the bitterness and wrath and anger Clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Hallelujah. All right, so here's what's going to happen, by the way. I, you'll get one more announcement <laughs> Um, we we have um, we are going, we are going to announce to you next week. We will announce to you um, a service for meeting in a public park. And it won't be like a regular service, and, and it won't be a picnic. It'll be a lot of friends running into each other in a public place and breaking out in songs spontaneously. <laughs> actually, actually, I think we can actually do it. We just have to practice. Social distancing and mask and so it'll be good. We'll we'll have some prayer and worship and like the shortest sermon I've ever preached. You wanna come just for that. You wanna come just for that grace. If there's a grace on that, you wanna see it. when we're done tonight, we're gonna, we're gonna pray for one another like we did last week. I had more expressions of people saying, okay, now we feel like we're us again because we prayed for one another. And so when, I've, when I'm done, I'm gonna ask you to come forward and, and stand close and then myself and whichever of the pastors wanna help me. We'll come up and we're just going to lay hands on your head. We're not going to do anything else. And bless you. Okay, we're going to do at least one other thing. We're going to bless you. So let's for just a brief moment, dive into this last bit. In the first 10 verses of Ephesians. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Because you've been forgiven, now be imitators. Walk in love as Christ loved us. So Christ forgave us, we can forgive. He loved us, we can love. He gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now we can give ourselves up for one another. Everything that you can hear in scripture, you can get grace for in the spirit. Every word that you can hear, ears to hear, you can get the grace for it. No one will walk out of here tonight saying, I can't do that. Because listen, when you came in, that was established. When you go out, that's already established. But Christ in you, is a whole different ballgame. Christ in you, all things are possible. Christ in you, uh, you can do all things. Christ in you is the enabling power. You will not be helpless in front of any temptation that has overtaken you. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In other words, the Lord saw the suffering The father saw the suffering of the son and was pleased with the sacrifice. It's it's not without meaning that the Bible says and it pleased the, the Lord to bruise him. You don't have to understand it for it to be true. The father and the son conspired together in eternity past to come and rescue us Out of the place where we were, out of sin and out of death, no matter what it took, and so he became sin for us. No matter what it took, and so he became a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. No matter what it took, this is the Savior. And so this is the only way. There is no other way I have hope. I have no hope in the world from the course of the world. I only have hope in the world from the victory of Christ. Because in this world, all things will be resolved by power games. And by that, I mean violence. But in the kingdom of God, reconciliation, regeneration, new creation can and will take place and has taken place. Now, he comes to the heavy lifting that sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. That means we can. That means we have power over it. Then he gives them instruction. Let there be no foolish, no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place. Now, why? The, The first sentence is predicated upon the second. What the second does is create the opportunity for the first. The, the filthiness and foolish talk and crude joking, which are out of place, create an environment for sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness to grow. The world knows if they can get you to laugh at something, they can get you to do it. Seducers know if they can get you to laugh at something, they can get you to do it. One of, one of the hardest things that happens to you it is, is, to, is to let this grace come upon you and then not be legalistic about it. Just be yourself. My wife, all the years I've known her, she's exactly the same person with regard to these things. Exactly the same. Never been any question why I fell in love with this girl. It was her moral integrity. It was the... It was the quality of moral purity that she carried that I went, that's the most irresistible thing I have ever seen in my life. Instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you can be sure of this. And the book of Ephesians, or Thessalonians says this, and this text says this, and it's I'll I'll use the word my old professor used. This is scarifying. That everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetousness, that is an idolater, covetousness is idolatry, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Okay. So let me just read it again. But sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness must not be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are all out of place, But instead let there be thanksgiving. Why do I read this scripture over and over and over to you? Because I believe more than any pastor you will ever have that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I believe that the grace for doing comes from hearing. And I believe that the power of God is in his word, not mine. And so I want mine when I stand up here to be filled with his. You may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetousness, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now let's, let me... You say, that is like, like that's rough stuff, right? Inheritance. Inheritance means what God has promised you'll receive. Inheritance in the old covenant was God says, I have a, I have a covenant promised for you. And so when they got their inheritance, it meant they got in the land, they had received their inheritance. Joshua said they received everything that God promised to give them. 21 uh, Joshua verse seven. And when the New Testament picks up the word inheritance, it's picking up the promise to the Old Testament saints. Their inheritance was promised land. Our inheritance is kingdom of God. By the way, ours is the fulfillment of theirs. It's not that that they wouldn't be complete without us. And so he says these words, these things has no inheritance in the kingdom of God of christ and you say well that's scary i'm sorry i don't know how to preach it to let us all off the hook because there's an awful lot of preaching nowadays that says i'm gonna this doesn't mean what you say you think it means which is to say you're really going to be all right a lot of preachers will preach the once saved always saved doctrine as a means of getting people out of every other hard thing the bible says I won't. I'll just let you feel the force of it. And then you'll say, explain it to us. I'm like, read it. Let Holy Spirit minister to you. Let Holy Spirit deliver you. Let Holy Spirit bring you into promised land. The kingdom, uh, no inheritance. And listen to the, the double down. It's the first time I've ever seen the double down. The kingdom of Christ and of God. Now, how do you explain the kingdom of Christ and of God? It actually is explained in the 15th chapter of uh, Paul's uh, letter to the Corinthians where it says that we are now experiencing the kingdom of Christ, but that one day that when he comes back, he will sum up all things and deliver the kingdom to the Father. That's what it says over there in that 15th chapter. So what he's saying, this is basically saying not now or in in the world to come. That's how it's being said. And this is why it's so shocking, because look, what we are most sated in, in, in American culture, what we're most, uh, we're, the soup we're in is sexual immorality and idolatry. That's the soup that we're cooked in. And I'm telling you, we're called out of it. And what happens to us is the church ends up in legalism. Let me tell you, the best way I know not to end up in legalism is govern yourself, not everybody else. Govern yourself, not everybody else. You say, well, what, what, how does that mean? You can talk to other people, but govern yourself. That's how you do it. You want to bring somebody out of something, be out of something. why I've said such a I've had I have such an appreciation today for any single person who says I'm binding myself to moral purity because uh, because I want you to know if you want to pray for a curse to be abated off our land the, the curse of not getting married that's on the American culture it, it hit Europe and it's sw- it's all across Europe and now it's on us people not getting married People not getting married because A, they don't have to get married to, to fulfill the sexual bond and, and B, they don't want the responsibility that the sexual bond implies. Ah, I always do this. I really want to talk to you a fair amount about this business of the sexual bond, but, I'm, but I'm, no, I'm not going to keep you forever. I'm not doing that. Um, I'm going to tease you with it and say, we'll we'll do more on it uh, next week. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Listen to it. Let no one deceive you with empty words. He gives this really hard instruction and then it's as if he says, oh, they're going to tell you it's not really true. They're going to tell you it's not really true. Let all impurity and covetousness, they must not even be named among you. Now listen, he has already told you that That impurity has a lot to do with sexual immorality. And covetousness has a lot to do with idolatry. These are the things. If you want to get real simple with life. Immorality and idolatry. These are the twin horns of the devil. These are the two things that we get hooked on. Worship of something that isn't God. By desiring it with all that's in us. Or worshiping another human being in, in desiring their body. And, and these were the things that when, when, the, when the Jews saw that the Gentiles were flooding into the kingdom and that God was pouring his Holy Spirit on them and they were being compelled to relinquish the law of Moses as a binder on the Gentiles, they said, only these things, They have to put away their idols and they have to give up their sexual immorality. And they never compromise these things. And if you want to say, is there evidence in the world that there might not be much of a church? These two things are saying to us, the church might be a lot smaller than you think it is. I haven't preached like this in a long time. I haven't preached like this in a long time. Um, if there is an actual renewal, it will involve getting rid of our idols and getting rid of our immorality. And frankly, our idols have been torn from us by this disease. And it's something to give thanks over. You say in the midst of this, in this affliction, we can say, we've actually discovered that we can live without our idols we've actually discovered that we don't have to have them. It's a phenomenal reality. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Stand together. Give you the hope that we're finishing. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. Now, guys, this surprised me because in the book of Thessalonians and right here, the Bible associates the wrath of God with immorality and idolatry. Therefore, do not become partners with them. I'm thankful to Bethel for using the language of what we partner with. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you're in the light of the Lord. So walk as children of the light. The fact that he's telling them this is the evidence that that it wasn't automatic, but that it was possible. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So he said, when you're asking When you're asking the moral question, the question is always, is it pleasing to the Lord? So whenever young people used to, would ask me, hey, preacher, is it all right if I, you know what I say? Love the Lord and do whatever you want to do. Love the Lord with all your heart and do whatever you want to do. Because I'm really not afraid of that. Love the Lord with all your heart and do whatever you want to do. Some, some of you are afraid that I, you're like, oh, you just threw away your whole sermon. <laughs> no, I know what loving the Lord with all your heart is. I know what it is.